Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Electric vehicles and e-mobility is a regular theme on our Talking New Energy podcast. One of the areas in this space that fascinates me the most is a range of companies involved coming from all sorts of different backgrounds with different strategies, different angles, different approaches uh, to e-mobility. Today, we're going to explore the perspectives of two different types of companies in this area. The first one is Alpeak, a Swiss-based utility with a turnover of around 5 billion euros and active across 25 different countries. The second company is a a much newer, younger company called Connected Curb, which focuses on EV charging and data infrastructure. So companies both looking at e-mobility, active in e-mobility, but from different angles. And we'll explore each company's approach uh, with a focus, a bit of a spotlight on public charging infrastructure and electrification of fleets. So let's introduce my guests. First, John Ryberg, Head of E-Mobility at Alpeak. Hello, John. Hello. Um, John, thanks for joining. Uh, Now, there are many different ways that a a large traditional utility such as Alpeak could play in the EV space. Or to use a different analogy, many squares on the chessboard on which a utility could play. Can you tell us a bit about how uh, you and Alpeak see the different squares that you could play on and which squares you're focusing on? Absolutely. Uh, we're basically focusing on everything that you can focus on except uh, the actual vehicle and also, <clears throat> strangely enough, uh, providing energy, which is uh, uh, related to the regulations of Switzerland where we sell through and we have a, a, a history of, of being sort of selling to uh, utilities uh, and uh, distributing to end, who distributes and customers. Uh, regarding the e-mobility part, uh, we, we started up uh, as a part of an installation operation in uh, 2012. And nowadays we, we have a, a much broader angle to it. Uh, so it's from everything uh, related to rolling out the infrastructure to manage the infrastructure and also the energy management solutions needed to, to have an efficient environment. So we target was, everything around that. But. And was, has that been a easy decision to make, John, to, to be quite wide and to play on as many squares of the chessboard as you can? Or have you had to think quite carefully about not overstretching or, or where you focus? Uh, n- not super easy, uh, and uh, I don't think it's uh, super unusual either, uh, because it's a young industry and it's a <clears throat> very few players on the market that actually has taken a decision to stick in a corner. Um, I, I also believe that it's related to the evolution in the industry. Uh, so even though you might target, um, like say, digital energy solutions, um, the need for that is, is growing in the future. Uh, so right now it's more about uh, the, the infrastructure part. But we're also flexible in the sense that we adjust to the, to the conditions to the deal. Uh, if uh, a customer wants to 
cherry pick uh, from our portfolio, we're uh, flexible in doing that as well. So we're not uh, sticking to the full value chain, uh, but of course we target that uh, and we have a portfolio covering that as well. So you're giving yourself as many options and choices as you can for the future. You might keep this very wide approach, you might focus in on particular areas, but at the moment that optionality uh, sounds like it's quite important to you. Yeah, you can say that if you would only target the software part of it, then you wouldn't have that much to do today because the, the, the uh, demand on the market is more related to installation work and uh, hardware. And uh, I believe that if you are good at that and you're a part of that, uh, then you will be a part of the uh, software portfolio coming later as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would say that it, it, it comes in waves. And, and right now, I would say that one of the biggest challenges is to, to actually manage large uh, rollouts of, of the infrastructure parts of it. Uh, and then and there's a second wave, uh, you will have to actually operate and manage the infrastructure. And if you had to characterize our peaks activity as on one end of the spectrum, dipping your toe in the water and really some sort of very small measured learning activity. And on the other end of the spectrum, diving in as as much as you can into this area. Um, it's a bit of a simplistic question, but where on that spectrum would you would you say our peak is? I would say that we are pretty much where the industry is. Uh, and and I, I would say that we're very good at every stage of this, but Right now, uh, with uh, uh, quite a few uh, large uh, OEM, uh, that's automotive uh, industry uh, companies uh, across the four countries where we operate, uh, we have some major deals, um, and meaning that we will be uh, broking uh, a vast majority of the installation work being done and also installing the hardware which puts mm-hmm. us in a good position that we're good at managing large volumes and also gets a footprint on the market as uh, knowledge around what we do. Uh, but I also believe that we have uh, great services. I know we have great services related to, to um, both the backend uh, software needed, but also the energy management solutions needed. So it very much depends on where the customer is in the in the development phase, uh, and, but we are meet, able to meet their needs in, in every step. But right now, that majority of the focus is related to to the installation part and the hardware part, which is um, natural in the early stage in the industry. Sure. Okay, thanks, John. We'll come back to you shortly. Uh, my second guest is Chris uh, Pateman-Jones, CEO of Connected Curb. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, very welcome. So, Chris, Connected Curb, you, you characterize yourself as playing in the, the e-mobility and the, the data stroke smart city space. Can you help to make that a bit more tangible, give us an elevator pitch for, for your company? Sure. So. Yeah, as, as you as you rightly said, we're a, we consider ourselves to be an EV charging and smart cities business. Really, what we mean by that is essentially we manufacture our our own charging points. They're multi-award winning charging points made out of recycled materials. So we think the green and the environmental side of this is really important. But the whole ethos of what we do is we're trying to build a future-proof network of charging points, which deploys multiple infrastructure projects in one go. So when we say we're in the smart city space, that's because when we deploy our EV 
charging network. We also deploy fast fiber, meaning that we can hang other technologies, or Internet of Things sensors, and also potentially 5G antennas off it. So uh, that is the aim. And the reason for that is because EV ownership at the moment is sort of circa 2 to 3% of the population. Um, and actually, if you're going to be, de be deploying an infrastructure solution, you want it to serve as wide a portion of the population as possible. So the idea is we've created an infrastructure platform which is flexible, that delivers a wider capability than pure EV charging, and therefore serves a wider portion of the population than just EV drivers. Okay, so Chris, it sounds like you're you're very focused on the infrastructure side. Uh, would you draw a sort of a tight boundary around that infrastructure, or is it difficult to do that and not uh, put layer on some services on top of that infrastructure as well? So we're, I mean, our, our business model is focused on the EV charging side, really, with the add-ons being um, there as a future proofing of the system, really. So our view is the technology is moving extremely quickly, and therefore we've tried to build flexibility into our system. So, for example, we've separated the charger from the socket. So what I mean by that is that when you actually look on our website and you see the chargers and the images of them, those are purely sockets. The charger actually either sits beneath the ground, separate from that, or on the wall. And that means that we're future-proofing it in terms of the reliability, so we have extremely high uptime of the network. But it also mm. means that we can add things in like induction charging or vehicle to grid. So we're deploying induction charging today um, in the UK. But it also means that, that we can add in a whole load of other services. So I mentioned the IoT piece, which means we can support cities around their smart cities aspirations. And it means we can mm. also be a neutral host for, for 5G deployment. Okay. Um, thanks very much, Chris. I'll come back to you uh, again shortly. My third guest sure. is one of our uh, Delta EE e-mobility experts, Abhishek Sampat. Abhishek, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, glad to be here again. Um, Abhishek, stepping back a bit, we've uh, got companies like uh, Alpeak, uh, a traditional utility, Connected Curb, a new entrant infrastructure player, but then we've got oil majors, car manufacturers, a whole host of other types of companies uh, coming into the e-mobility space, uh, most of which could play on a number of different squares of the, the chessboard. When you look at this market, are you seeing any patterns emerge about who's playing where, or is it really too early to say that? Are we, is it too young a market to, to see those patterns yet? I'm going to give a yes and no answer, just to uh, just to make it difficult. Yep. Um, yes, to an extent, we're seeing some of the big, uh, I guess, oil and energy companies trying to acquire other other smaller companies to add to their portfolio to diversify their business model. We've mm -hmm. seen that over the years, over the last two years, especially with Shell and uh, BP on acquisition mm -hmm. sprees, but we're now seeing EDF buying a pod point, for example, which is adding to their portfolio. So they're going after the different parts of the chessboard, but maybe um, in a in a purchased manner instead of a yeah. growth manner, which is which also works. I mean, they, they give, they're giving themselves the opportunity to play in this space. Um, so I think that's one of the big patterns we're seeing, but we're also seeing the other pattern of lots of other companies coming in um, and startups and SMEs growing and becoming in some cases more popular than some of the some of the established names uh, so that's always good to see because it drives competition and it drives innovation and you're seeing some of the most interesting products are now coming from some of the SMEs and hmm. um, and the new companies um, so how it'll all land up good question uh, but I think um, 
I think we're seeing a few different patterns emerging, and I guess with more and more um, interest in electrification and hopefully more uptake of electric vehicles, we'll see more uh, interoperability and standardization for some of the some of the pain points for EV drivers today. Uh, mm. and, uh, I think that might drive some of the future patterns. So it feels to me, Abhishek, like I... it's a... Yeah, sorry, Chris, come on in. Sorry, John, I was just going to say, do you mind if I just jump in to say, uh, no, to, sure. to sort of second what you've been you've been saying there? So I think for a start, you're right to think of this as a chessboard. It's, it, it's often framed in, in the media and actually sometimes in the industry as being a sort of VHS Betamax debate as to whether you're going to have one type of charging or another. We don't mm -hmm. see it like that at all. We see that actually the overall aim of the industry is to drive EV adoption and to get people into green and mobility solutions. The way to do that is not to provide an either-or scenario. The way to do that is to get people to realize that actually owning an EV is easier, more efficient, and more attractive than owning an ICE vehicle. And the way to do that is to have a number of different charging solutions. So we really think about it as actually you should be deploying charges that match people's use cases and dwell times. So, for example, in an instance where you have someone sitting in a car park for maybe 10 to 15 to 20 minutes. So typically on an arterial motorway where they're wanting to stop, grab a coffee and have a toilet break, that is where you need ultra fast and rapid charging. There's no point in putting slow trickle charging um, or even up to fast charging 11, 11, 22 kilowatts there because it doesn't match what the user actually needs and it's nowhere near comparable to fuel in your car. By contrast, on street in residential areas, workplace charging and long-stay car parks, there's not really much point in putting ultra-rapids because it, again, doesn't match the dwell time. So really, we do see this as a full ecosystem play and something which everyone can be part of and where some existing business models like the oil majors will exist still because you will still need to use petrol station type models but they are not the only use case. There are, there are multiple different use cases to play. And really, the people that are going to be successful are those who really understand the part of the market they play in and how they deliver a proposition which is really attractive to customers. So if we maybe, to use my chessboard analogy, if we look at one part of the chessboard, that charging infrastructure part, there are a number of different squares. And Chris, you, you characterize some of those squares there. But even there, the types of companies playing, um, it's yourself, Chris, it's the oil majors we talked about, uh, the, the car manufacturers with their ionity charging um, solution. Um, John, you, you said for Alpeak that this is an area you're very focused on in terms of installation. It's a, a type of activity you know well. Um, how, how easy or hard has it been to move into the EV charging infrastructure place is it a small step for you in terms of Alpeak's sort of heritage and skills, or or has it been quite a big, difficult step? Well, uh, it's the way we see it is uh, it's a decentralized energy uh, plant uh, where it starts with one charger, but when it piles up to several chargers, something happens to the grid and the energy consumption, and then you're in need of flexibility and also peak shaving and balancing and all kinds of solutions to make this happen uh, so we come from the energy background combined with the installation work nowadays we don't have the installation business in-house we outsource mm -hmm. that uh, but the energy know-how is the basis of what we're doing and of course it's 
uh, it since it's m moving quite slowly but quite uh, stipe, uh it it is uh, very interesting but it will only show uh, in the future we have some cases uh, today already where we know i mean we have an insurance company that has 90 charging stations in their parking lot at the, their office building and of course it 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 put some strain on them uh, so it's not only to have a charging station uh, installed but you have to manage this uh, and to manage that with all the energy the energy know-how is sort of uh, the angle where we come from mm. but it takes a while to get there uh, so so we're focusing on to be attending on all kinds of events and uh, of course we help ionity to roll out their infrastructure which is more construction work or we help the oems with the small transactions for the home uh, so we're basically everywhere, but we see the need is going in the energy solutions direction. Yeah. Okay. So matching that infrastructure with the with the energy management together. Um, I'd like to now move to look at uh, another part of the chessboard, which is fleet charging. Um, now, those in the EV sector will understand the importance of electrifying fleets rather uh, as well as selling cars to households. Abhishek, can you just very briefly explain why fleets is such an important part of the, the market for e-mobility today? Absolutely. Um, I think we've gone past the phase of the early adopters and private individuals being part of the electric vehicle lifestyle. Uh, and I guess the next big uh, the next big chunk of um, opportunity to transfer over to an electric vehicle is going to be fleets. Um, one, because there's inherent, inherent benefits from a CO2 or tax, a benefit in kind perspective for the companies, but it's also the emissions-free uh, side of it that fleets would want to go to. And there is a lower uh, total cost of ownership and uh, associated with electric vehicles as well. So for fleets, that's very interesting and very uh, attractive. Now, and there's a few fleet, sorry. fleets themselves, Abhishek, they make up a big proportion of new car sales, don't they? Uh, absolutely, yeah, a very large proportion of new car sales. And we've also got the, we've also got, and and that, that could be the company car fleets, but it also could be the, uh, I guess, you know, the, the vans, the van fleets, which are either like, you know, tens of thousands by some of the big companies, and then also smaller SMEs who've got maybe 10. But then when you add them up, that's a lot of vehicles. Um, yeah. So they will be looking for a solution, and uh, and fleets gives you the next big opportunity because there is a, there is a drive from the person who's actually having to buy them. So that fleet manager, the fleet buyer. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, John, Al Pete, you're focusing quite closely on electrification of fleets. Can you can you give our listeners a flavour of the sort of things you're doing, the types of fleets you're working with? Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe first to mention that uh, it, it's kind of interesting the the um, angle from the employer perspective. It's uh, it's not only about um, electrifying your fleet. It's about which image you have as a company and which profile you have on the market, and also to attract employers uh, uh, employees uh, that are interested in driving EVs. Uh, and then it's also some financial benefits. Uh, are, but, are you seeing uh, the, uh, the softer yeah. drivers as in the total cost of ownership, the financial benefit, I think will be clear to 
everyone to imagine how a fleet manager might make that decision. But those softer factors, are you seeing them as quite important as well? Yeah, I think they are. Uh, and I think they are both uh, as uh, being uh, employed somewhere or as a private person. Uh, you have the pressure from the kids or the neighbors mm -hmm. or and, and the, of course, uh, a company recruiting talents. Uh, if the talent is saying, I'm not driving diesel, uh, then, of course, they have to provide uh, an electric vehicle. So, mm. so I think the soft parts is quite uh, important. I also believe that the, the sales process part is quite challenging for, for the OEM uh, resellers uh, or the dealers uh, from the OEMs mm. because uh, it's not just to sell a car and hand over the keys and there you go. Uh, it's, it's a lot of questions occurring, especially if you have a fleet. Uh, so it basically starts with, with a dialogue with the sales guy that, uh, you know what, I want to buy 100 cars, so, so how do I do? What happens in, in my garage and how do I do that? Uh, and it's a lot of questions. So we, we believe that we are sort of the, the trusted party to, to the OEMs uh, and that they, they can rely that we have good solutions. So we get connected to the company when the company wants to shift their fleet uh, because they need guidance. Uh, mm. So what is the cost for it? How do they do? How do we plan for the construction work? If you're scaling up from zero EVs to 1,000 in two years, how do you plan for that? And which equipment do you need? And when do you need to upgrade the grid? So it's plenty of questions that you need to answer. And then, of course, from the, uh, the user perspective is that, well, I work from home from time to time. So how, how do I solve that? Uh, if I live in a house, I'm, I might want to or need a, a wall box in my house. If I live in a, a rented home, uh, then I have to talk to my landlord. So it's a lot of complex questions mm. popping up when you're shifting into new. Uh, and, and then you have, when that is solved, uh, and you, if you're a service technician or if you're a sales guy, a consultant, or uh, working at a law firm, you're probably on, on the roads. Um, so then you, you, of course, need to be able to uh, use the vehicle when you meet customers or conduct your, your uh, everyday work. Uh, so so, that's, so it's, that's many different things, John, that as a trusted partner, you're looking to provide that whole range of services to fleets? Yes, we do. Uh, but just to mention that we're hardware agnostic. So we, hmm. we, we've tried to find the best solution for the customer uh, and sometimes the customer wants something that works short term. Uh, we would, might suggest a long term solution because it's more beneficial over time that you actually plan to scale up uh, and that you select uh, open solutions because it's so much happening on, on the uh, hardware side that you have to be prepared for future. Um, so, so maybe you don't want to be locked into a specific solution. But the, the needs are so many different, uh, and and of course, yes, we are targeting to to solve uh, all of it. Uh, but we don't do everything in house. But we uh, we intend to be the sort of system integrator for it and a trusted party. What what would you say, John, is of the biggest thing you've learnt in working with fleets, or the biggest challenge that you see uh, in this area? Well, it's uh, it's the complexity is the biggest challenge at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have some uh, good examples of, of solutions that we have delivered, 
but uh, yes, I, I think it's so different um, when it comes to, I mean, if you have a fleet of uh, EV trucks, uh, you, you're facing a totally different uh, challenge than if you uh, have a, a five sales guys uh, in the garage. Uh, and does, so, that, so it's, it's, does that lack of standardization, does that make it a tough business because you've got a lot of hand-holding, a lot of supporting customers? Uh, you, you know, there may be some solutions that are standardized, but as you said, a lot of different types of customers. Does that make it tough? Well, it, it, the, the challenge is, of course, to follow uh, what's happening on the market and provide the customer with solutions that they are happy with in five years from now. Um, mm. And uh, we believe that we know that, but it might be so that in three years from now, we would have taken a different decision today, but uh, that will be seen. I, I think we are... Since we're we're used to manage all kinds of projects, we have the full scale of the knowledge needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you, but from from the customer perspective, it's all it's installation related. It's what kind of hardware related. It's hardware at the work and it's hardware at home. And and who's paying for the hardware at home? What happens if the guy uh, terminates his contract in a month from now? Do I collect the hardware? Do we buy it himself? Does he want to do that? So. There, there's, uh, there's not a single standardized concept that you, so you have to have a flexibility depending on the customer needs. Uh, and it goes from everything related to the infrastructure and also the services. So it works for the customer and the employee. Uh, Chris, if, so if John I might alluded jump, Just jump in, but, but, sorry. If, yeah, I was gonna bring just, you in, Chris, because uh, just on that you. charging at home angle, uh, because employees uh, who, maybe drive a, a van that services heating systems, will often park their van at home overnight and need to charge up their van. So are you being drawn into the, the fleet space as well through your, your curb uh, curbside charging? Yeah, so we're pretty active in the fleet space. We actually placed 120 vehicles last week um, with, uh, with a fleet operator. So, so yeah, I, I second what John said. I, I think to us, it is a very complex market, but it's actually an opportunity where if you're flexible to your customer needs, you can differentiate mm. yourself completely because people try and think about this in too binary a way. Um, it is complex, but if you want EV adoption to take place, then fleet is one of the key tools to actually accelerating EV adoption. Um, I think the complexity of this is huge, um, both from a, and it's actually almost slightly easier when you have uh, vehicles being parked at depots. But I think, as you quite rightly said, there are a number of instances where fleet operators will actually expect expect the operator of that vehicle to be driving and parking at home. Um, and it, a real case in point would be if you think of Uber and all of the fleet vehicles that they have, thousands and thousands mm. of them, the vast majority are parked at home. And the key challenge there actually is that the vast majority of those drivers live in urban areas. And in urban areas, as much as 70% of the population, in fact, in Glasgow, for example, in the UK, it's 78% of the population doesn't have anywhere to park and charge their car off street. So they don't have a driveway to park their car. Yeah. This is really where we come in as the solution provider. And, and there's either an opportunity to be putting in um, infrastructure to allow those drivers to charge on street at home. But there are also the opportunities for, again, to think about this in an ecosystem approach. So to actually try and get better utilization of car parks, which typically sits completely empty overnight yeah. in the workplace or potentially um, large car park operators and actually allow or create a facility for those drivers to be going and charging overnight close to where they live 
not going to be possible everywhere, but certainly in urban areas, it is, we think, a possibility. So trying to draw yeah. together the ecosystem is key. And that's really what we're trying to do. And presumably, Chris and John, uh, John, if you're working with a, a fleet where the vehicles go to the, the driver's home and need to charge up at home, you might need a home charging solution. Chris, that's the sort of thing you might provide. But then from a software or, or back office systems, uh, that would need to seamlessly merge together for the customer. Yeah, we, yeah, uh, and, we have and, solutions and, for that. Uh, and it's, of course, important that uh, whatever, I'm, I mean, if I have a company car, which I'm using the uh, vast majority of my time, that I, I get compensated for this cost I have at home. And mm. uh, so, of course, you need a software solution to be able to track what have you, when and where have you ch uh, charged and what is the cost for it. And then it depends on uh, if the customer wants to have that as a one bill to the company or if it's on an expense support. But mm. uh, we have solutions for both. Uh, and then it, it also is related to uh, the open environment, of course, that you're you're able to uh, to access anywhere and get the company to pay for it. But it's uh, right right now. I say that it's it's a, the the big um, challenge for for anyone providing service is that they they need to find a, a solution sustainable uh, that it works uh, because it's so expensive it doesn't work. So, so you you need all, all these uh, steps that you could actually call one number and get support if the, the yeah. this infrastructure doesn't work, and you also need to be as a user of it to be able to charge everywhere. Uh, basically, so you need the roaming and and all these need, needs to be tailor made according to the the needs from from the fleet owner, uh, and yeah. that's what we target. There's a lot of complexity there, uh, Chris. From your perspective, uh, do you see yourself as uh, focusing on that hardware and just making sure that your hardware can operate, for example, with Alpeak's uh, back office system, or do you see your role your as potentially going further than that? Without question, I think we go further than that. So we're mm. a full service uh, manufacturer and operator. We also have a number of vehicles that we place. So I think this comes to, a, to the ecosystem play piece. So we do the installation, we try and match the charging infrastructure to what the user need is. That can either, as I say, be in the car parks or else on street, essentially below ground. Um, so there's a number of different things. And I, I completely agree with what John said in, t in terms of it's more than just the, uh, the hardware. And I think people who are just doing hardware are gonna struggle probably long-term because this is about so much more. The, the customer mm. doesn't really care whether um, uh, what they, sort of who they're buying it from. They just wanna really understand that it works. I think this is where really there's some real questions being posed to the uh, auto manufacturers at the moment because I think they're trying to struggle or struggling a little bit to understand where they fit in with this because mm. really they'd like to be a key part of the infrastructure solution as well so that when they sell their vehicle <clears throat> they're selling it almost as a whole package so we're increasingly now being involved in conversations with the OEMs to be their solution because I think one of the challenges they have is they'll sell potentially luxury or premium vehicles um, and then as soon as the vehicle is gone from their side, they're then reliant on not such a great customer experience to go and install the EV charging points and then operate yeah. them. So what we're really trying to do is to manage the whole process where we work with the OEMs, we work with the power companies to make sure that there is a, a simple and efficient solution there. And then we've built a technology solution which can fit in with that and then an operating solution which can do the load management, can interface with the large um, power companies as well. So I think 
you're completely right. Targeting to do everything is the right thing to do. The reality is, is there's going to be an ecosystem coming yeah. together to provide a solution to the customer who doesn't really care. I don't think who provides it. They just want a holistic solution. Hmm. So I guess this brings us full circle back to that that chessboard, uh, Abhishek, that we were talking about at the the beginning. Uh, from the customer's point of view, some customers will will adopt a bit of a DIY approach and piece parts of the puzzle together themselves, but many customers, probably most of them, more want simplicity and a a solution that meets all of their needs. And then there are so many different activities involved to do that. Um, Abhishek, how much of a battle do you see for who's going, battle might be the wrong word, but lots of different companies are able to provide the sorts of solutions that we've been talking about at the moment? Yeah, so um, yeah, I think battle is probably a very hard word for that. Um, mm. Uh, from a customer perspective, they want something that works. Uh, some will be more interested in what happens behind the scenes. So they might be drawn towards a certain solution based on that. Mm. And if that solution is part of a wider ecosystem, um, they'll probably go for that. So if you wanted green energy to charge your EV at home, you'd probably look for that solution. If that provider also happened to have a wall box they could install at your house, you'd probably go for that. If they had a public charging partner, you'd go for that. Um, mm. So I think... Uh, from a customer perspective, the, the next phase of customers probably won't mind as much as long as it works and it does what it's supposed to. Uh, it'll become, in some ways, to them, a commodity that they use. Um, but again, a lot of these devices are very smart and very interactive and very interesting to use. So we'll see that, imp that also being a thing that happens and it's convenience. Hmm. At the end of the day, if you, uh, going back to the point that um, was made about uh, you know, 76% of Glasgow doesn't have a um, place to park uh, outside the house. It's true, even um, in, in a, a lot of places, you live in an apartment building and you don't have a place to park. So mm. if you've got a convenient solution, you'd probably go for that and you'd sign up to that. Okay, um, well, it's that time in the podcast to bring out the, the Talking New Energy crystal ball. Um, I'm going to set the, the DAR to 2030 today and this week, the question is a bit more qualitative than quantitative. Uh, so, John and Chris, I'd like to ask each of you, in 2030, how do you think the wider public, it could be households, could be fleets, how, how do you think the wider public will perceive your company when it comes to e-mobility? What will they uh, think of if they see the name Alpico or Connected Curb? What will they associate you with? And for Abhishek, I'd like to ask uh, you to place yourself in the shoes of a, a car manufacturer, not any particular one, uh, you, you did used to work for one, but let's pick a hypothetical or a, 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 a continental European car manufacturer. So how will customers see a car manufacturer in 2030? Just as a car manufacturer or something more than that? So keeping your answers uh, fairly brief, please, in the interest of time. Uh, John, what will customers uh, think of with regard to e-mobility when they uh, see Alpique's brand in 2030? Well, I, I would like uh, the market to have the uh, view of us as being uh, sort of the Intel inside, uh, being the one uh, making it possible for, for anyone on the industry, if it's a landlord uh, or if it's a, a fleet owner or if it's a uh, manufacturer cars, uh, we would be the enabler for them, uh, being that trusted party. 
I, I trust that uh, we have to have the credibility to take that position, and it will be based on the ability we have today and the coming years, of course. But you will be seeing a totally different arena. I think that the open solutions will be the winners, and we represent that. So I, I trust that we will be someone that they will listen to uh, regarding future solutions as well. Okay, thanks, John. Very clear. Um, Chris, in a nutshell, how about Connected Curve? I think I'd, I'd almost sort of say continuation as we are. So I'd like us to continue to be known as providing um, extremely easy to access, reliable and convenient charging infrastructure on street uh, and trying to provide that solution for the people who, who are unable to, to charge at home, um, a significant portion in, in Western Europe and in many other places around the world. Mm. And I think second to that, I think I'd like them to continue to see us as leading edge in terms of innovation both in terms of a future-proofing stance. So as I mentioned earlier on, at the moment, we're deploying induction charging around mm -hmm. the UK, but also from an environmental angle. We see the environmental side of EV as being core. Um, and as I think you know, we won a Global Seal Award earlier this year. And we'd like to continue that, really, to try and make the kit as reliable and as, uh, as green and long life as it can possibly be. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Very clear. Uh, um, John, uh, if, mm -hmm. if I may just add to it that... Oh. Uh, the energy consumption will be uh, enormous that year uh, related to the need you have with the, all these fleets mm. and to be able to, to manage this uh, new energy distribution and the prosumers uh, with the local consumption and production uh, and also the opportunity with the, the new micro markets opening up with the vehicle to grid and the flexible assets as being on wheels. Uh, I, I think to manage that will be our position in the future. Okay, so the energy angle becoming very, or the distributed energy optimization becoming very important. Um, Abhishek, car manufacturer in 2030, just a car manufacturer or, or more than that? What we've seen over the last few years is car manufacturers uh, trying to reposition themselves as mobility solution providers uh, alongside just making the vehicle that you might buy. Uh, and I think they will continue down that that path. Uh, we're already seeing people like, um, you know, let's say Volkswagen trying to diversify into electricity, into energy, into providing the charging hardware and install and public charging, et cetera. And that's across all the Volkswagen brands. Mm -hmm. But then you've got also got PSA and uh, Fiat Chrysler, one of the same thing. Uh, but what are they going to do? They've already got electrified vehicles in their portfolio. Uh, but what are they going to do beyond that? I think if you were a car manufacturer, yes, you'd want someone to walk into your dealership, let's say today, um, buy the car, then also set up their home energy and their charging and their public charging all through you. Mm -hmm. But to do that, either you have to have a lot of investment upfront to make that happen, or you've got strategic partners in places. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I think that'll that'll change by market. In your home market, you're probably likely to spend the infrastructure or the capex to do that um, but in some of the other markets you might partner but i think they'd want to provide a full service solution for customers that want it okay so more uh, than a, because it more takes than, a lot, yeah. more than just man manufacturing the car help uh, either themselves or with partners providing the solutions yeah yeah, yeah. i mean tesla's um, done a good job of showing you how to do that so yeah, there's certainly a bit of a trailblazer and uh, maybe Volkswagen with the LE subsidiary, which is an energy uh, services and energy supply subsidiary is another example. Mm -hmm. Well, 
um, we better draw it to a close uh, with that. So um, thank you very much to my guests. Thank you, John, for joining. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thanks again, Abhishek. Pleasure to be here, as always. Uh, and last but not least, thank you to listeners for joining. We hope you found that a, an interesting perspective on the EV chessboard and look forward to welcoming you back next week. Goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.